Hi, entrepreneurs. It's Steph here, and I want to be sure you've had the opportunity to reserve your ticket to our Entrepreneurs Founders Weekend for our Wealth and Wellness Retreat presented by Chase Inc. We will be hosting our event at the Ritz-Carlton in Orlando, Florida from May 3rd to May 5th, and you are definitely going to want to be there with us. This is going to be your opportunity to build relationships with some of the most powerful women in business. And I can share with you firsthand that the best business relationships are formed when we really get together in person. And I just know so much business magic is going to happen when we're all together. From educational panels, networking activities to wellness activations, inspiring keynotes and breakout sessions. This is going to be a weekend you are not going to want to miss. So you can reserve your ticket today over at entrepreneurista.com forward slash founders weekend. We only have a few tickets left, so be sure that you reserve yours today. That's entrepreneurista.com forward slash founders weekend. I cannot wait to see you there. No matter what you're doing, focus on something that you love and focus on something that you're passionate about truly because that carries you a really, really, really long way. You know, trends come and go, ideas come and go, but no matter what, if you feel passionate about something, you'll always be able to sell it and feel good about it and nurture it and feed it. And that to me is what it's all about. has been ahead of every skincare and beauty trend, including being the first entrepreneur to bring sheet masks from South Korea to the United States. You're about to hear her journey founding Snap Products and how she managed to land her iconic Miss Spa product line in some of the biggest retailers across the country. Coming up, how Kate stays ahead of the curve and knows which trends will take off in the U.S running a private label business and the process developing products. Kate shares her experience bootstrapping and why she decided not to raise funding. She gives us the inside scoop into big pitches with retailers and the lessons she has learned along the way. And finally, Kate shares her biggest tips for pricing products and why this is such a challenge. This is the Entrepreneurista Podcast, presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done. And what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram. With no filters. No limits. And plenty of surprises. Kate, we are so excited to sit down with you today and share your entrepreneurista story and journey. You have been credited with being the first entrepreneurista to bring Korean beauty inspired sheet masks to the U.S. market and so much more. I would love to hear how did you break into this industry? A lot of that. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's so great. Um, I'm excited to be here. And yeah, facial sheet masks and coming to the U.S. was was quite the journey. I was traveling in Asia for my private label business that I had started in 2000, which is called Snap Products. And spending so much time over there, I started to become really attuned to the whole Asian skincare phenomena. And this is pre-K beauty being a thing or anything. And even in Hong Kong, which is where I spent a lot of my time because I have an office over there, I would constantly go out shopping and see sheet masks. 
masks. And so I became really, really obsessed with them. And then I started bringing them home to all my friends in the US and in Europe. And they're like, oh my gosh, these are so great. And then at the time we had a bath brand called Miss Spa. And I just sort of had an epiphany about you know, this type of product, which is basically, you know, the type of facial regimen that you would have treatment that you would have in a spa should be something that you should be able to do at home. And how do I bring these into the U.S.? And so we, we branded them under my spa and started showing them to all of our retailers that we work with. And everybody was completely wowed by them. At first they were like, these are weird. Why would you put a piece of soggy paper on your face? We don't get it. But once we described it in terms of the actual delivery system and how it was just a different way of looking at delivering skincare, um, then, then the light bulb went on and that sort of is what started the whole thing. That was in 2013. So you already had a business before then, and then now you're launching your own D2C brand. What was the next step after, after you got the retailers interested? really just trying to figure out what was next because so much of my core business and um, my company's business was in private label. So we were constantly tasked with looking for the latest and greatest trends, right? So Snap Products, which I founded in 2000, was really just about that. It was about all of the top retailers that we had developed these relationships with over the years coming to us and saying, okay, what's next in Bath and Body, what's next in skincare, what's next in all these different categories. And we had a multitude of different areas. We were in hosiery, we were in footwear. So we had separate teams on either side of the business, both beauty and personal care, and then general merchandise that were really just trend hunters that were out there looking for the latest and greatest all over. And then I was really the globe trotter who was out and about. I have friends all over the world. I had started the office and the business in Asia. So, you know, it was really about finding things. And then when it came down to, you know, really trying to figure out what we wanted to be in terms of the next phase outside of private label, the next natural place for us to go was to create our own brands, um, sort of take back some of the things that we had done for private label for others and own them for ourselves and then roll up all these products that we have been working on for years and years and all these relationships that we have built with suppliers and it all fell into place in a way that just really made sense. Take us back to those early days when you were first starting your private label business. How did you get into that business and did you always know you wanted to be an entrepreneur? I've always been an entrepreneur since I was like a kid. I mean, I was selling, you know, I was buying as seen on TV kits to make Willy Wonka chocolate bars and selling yeah. the door. So that's like, that was my initial start as a merchant. And then it just sort of <laughs> went on from there. I was in retail. I was on the apparel side. I was in the sales and marketing side. And I had so many relationships overseas from a manufacturing perspective. And I had so many retailer relationships. And at the time when I started Snap Products, there was such a consolidation going on with retail. So there were fewer and fewer, you know, and at the time it was really only bricks and mortar retail. So there were fewer and fewer retailers. And, you know, what I was finding is that a lot of my contacts were jumping around. So somebody that I had worked with at Sears was now at Target or somebody that I had worked with at Walmart was now at Walgreens. So there was this element of sort of like catching up with everybody and, and really trying to match up 
what was going on from a trend perspective, along with what the need was, because every retailer was looking to differentiate themselves. And we felt like we had this unique sort of proposition that we could bring to them where we could allow them, you know, the ability to bring something different to market. And even if it was just a different floral pattern on a flip-flop, it was different than what the competition had. And it was bespoke and it was proprietary. And that's what really made us different than anybody else who was doing private label at the time. And our competition was primarily trading companies and people that, you know, companies that had been set up overseas that were really just the middleman between, you know, either the wholesaler or retailer and, you know, the supplier. So we created something a little bit different where we took a left-hand turn and focused more on trends and how to bring trends that were either, you know, happening in other parts of the world that we knew would be coming here. Like, was it a trend in Brazil? Like, Javianas is a perfect example. Is it a trend in, you know, another country or something that's, you know, been sort of created by the look and feel of another country that we can bring here. And then our goal was to do it fast, hence the name Snap Products, and to do it in a way that was affordable because the market, you know, in a lot of ways, the, certainly the mass market was not ready for, you know, that next level of product. So we had to make it look really, really, really good at a really, really, really attractive price. Can you walk us through the process of finding some of these trends and products and what it actually takes to bring it to market and make it a reality? So let's say we see, I'll make something up right now, a trend going on. Okay, well, you take Digicards, right? See a trend <laughs> going on, these Digicards. And we see that everyone's starting to, you know, pick up on this product overseas. And you're like, let's bring this to the US. Walk us through what that process is like and how you're able to do it so quickly. Sure. So we always start with the research and the data. Like that's, and that's why digital is so perfect for us now, because like we get that. So always going back to the research and the data and really trying to understand why is it a trend? Why do people care? What are the consumer behaviors behind it? And then what else can we tap into either in other industries or in other areas or like pro like to like products? What are different things that we can match up? Um, and that comes down to doing, you know, at the time it was research with magazines, you know, it was researched through various different trend forecasting vehicles that we subscribe to. But we would basically create, you know, what's now known as a mood board, which for us was like a trend board. And in some cases, it was a, it was a physical board, you know, where we would sit there and clip images and create sort of like the mood for what it is, and then figure out how to bring it to market. You know, um, in the case of the cards, do we have all the right messages? Are, you know, what are the trendy um, sayings? What are people saying now that would be applicable? How do we bring that through to the product and the packaging? We've always had our own in-house creative team, which was another thing that gave us an edge. Um, we still do. So we're able to move really quickly. So we probably, you know, would investigate from a, a design perspective, fonts and colors. So we would get like that granular in terms of figuring it out. And then we'd, we'd really go into the packaging and try to figure out, you know, how much packaging is required. Should it be in a bag that, you know, is a Ziploc or something that is, um, you know, something that somebody wants to save or a pouch, or is it something that should go into a, you know, a cardboard box? And um, so like the packaging would be the next important thing. And then obviously trying to figure out how ultimately, you know, we'd go through all the pricing and the positioning piece of it. How did you develop your retailer uh, relationships in the early days? Do you have any tips for any entrepreneur looking to get into retail and how to how to get in there? 
Sure. So a lot of them, because I had been in various different industries, you know, basically in consumer products for most of my career, as I mentioned, a lot of um, different retailers were moving around and there's just a lot of movement in retail in general that tends to happen a lot where they go from, from chain to chain um, and desk to desk. Because with retailers moving to different categories, we added additional categories. We'd work with somebody that we loved and then they would move on to a different category. It's like, oh, please, can you work with me and help develop this? And it's like, okay, I guess we have to learn hosiery now, which like we were constantly, you know, investigating and becoming experts in new categories. Um, to me, it's all about the relationships regardless. And I think, you know, even bringing on a team when I, when we got to the point where we needed to bring on a sales team, making sure that the sales team also brings with them a book of business and has their own relationships. Um, that's a really important part of it because sometimes as a founder, you don't have that. Maybe you're more the idea person or you're more the product person or, you know, whatever it is. And you don't necessarily have those specific relationships that are door openers per se, but you can still find people that do. And I'm also the biggest networker in the world. I mean, I'll go to anybody and be like, do you know anybody at Target who knows anything about betting or, you know, like constantly, you know, trying to just tap my network for people because I always am willing to jump in and help anyone with anything. And I think that's one of the best ways is just to be able to network. Obviously it's easier now than it was back then. You know, with LinkedIn alone, some of my best relationships have come through me reaching out to various different people through LinkedIn in and being like, hey, are you willing to have a conversation about XYZ? And they're like, yeah. We are, we are loving LinkedIn as well. Any tips you can share about some of the messages that you send that, that get the most traction and attention? Because LinkedIn can be cluttered with people getting a lot of email messages, but it sounds like you're having success with that strategy. Yeah, I am hardly the expert. In fact, our media company is constantly <laughs> telling me that I need to redo my own LinkedIn. And I'm like, yeah, 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 I'll, I'll get to that. But, you know, to me, it's just like being really authentic. I think that's a big part of it. I think anytime I know myself for myself, when I get something that feels like super salesy or like it's, you know, it's canned, I'm out. Like I'm not really, unless it's something that I'm dying to like learn more about. I think like the authenticity of like, hey, you know, I'm Kate, I started this, da, 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 you know, just like kind of putting yourself out there and kind of taking that like businessy side of it away um, tends to resonate really well and also making any sort of association so somebody doesn't just think you're coming to them you know out of the out of the sky i get random stuff where i'm like how did this person even find me like it's a <laughs> weird and then i'm like are there like algorithms like with you know instagram where they're being served up my profile if they're searching for certain things so there are there are, yeah, there are. <laughs> so i just kind of you know some of this stuff i look at but when i get something that really jumps out at me and that feels like it's, you know, authentic and, and has that like personal touch. I think that's more meaningful. Have you ever raised any money? I have not because of the roots and private label. When I originally founded the business, we did everything custom and everything shipped directly from the country where it was made. So when I first started snap, we, had no inventory. So we were doing tens of millions of dollars in sales and we never had to touch the product, which I became like a phenomena. In fact, McKinsey ended up doing a white paper on the business because they had never seen anybody who had, you know, a consumer products business and was doing this custom product, but wasn't holding the goods. But for us, it was all custom and there was no need for us to hold it. So it made perfect sense to us. 
Um, so because of that, you know, we had banks coming to us going, you know, you've got incredible revenue and you have no inventory. And that's like a really great thing. That's great until you need to borrow money and you don't have any inventory. So once we started building up the business on our own brands, we realized quickly we needed to have domestic stock. There was just no way to be able to do it, shipping it from Asia and and doing it directly to the to the various different retailers we we're working with. So that was tricky. I mean, that was definitely a turning point as really just changing our business model. And I ended up hiring consultants to come in and, and help us do that because everything from warehousing to inventory management, you know, all those things were like unknown to us. Demand planning, we're like, we had no clue. So we had to quickly figure out how to make that work. And I would say it's still probably one of the most challenging areas, but still we have not, I've been able to um, finance the business myself. I, I own it hundred percent. And, you know, there's certainly been times when I've had to dip in and inject it with some of my own personal cash, but I've, to this day, I've not had to, to raise any money. It's not to say I'm not like opposed to it. I've just been in a position where I haven't had to, to worry about it. Well, if you don't need to, they say, don't, don't do it because then you <laughs> don't take it if you don't need it. Exactly. You know? it, exactly. Everyone laughs because even starting the company, like I remember I got my first big orders from, um, I was working with urban outfitters and doing gift sets for them. And I was doing, um, pro I started doing products for Walgreens and I didn't even have like money to be able to give the deposits to the suppliers. I mean, like, I was like, oh, right, I've got to figure that out. And then I've got to get the goods in to the US and how's this going to work? And I ended up tapping credit cards. I mean, you know, everyone's like, how did you bootstrap your business? I'm like, my Visa card. I mean, I guess like I was lucky enough to have a sizable limit that definitely worked out. But that's how I financed my original orders that ended up, you know, just sort of compounding and, and financing the rest of the business. We, I, I think, especially, you know, years ago, before there were a lot of these financing options that there are now for, for business owners, um, we interviewed Gwen Whitting. She's one of the co-founders of The Laundress in a, in a previous episode. And she shared, I don't know if you know her, but she shared all about how they put basically everything on credit cards, like hundreds of thousands of dollars when they were first starting their business and their families were like, what are you guys doing? And they were in, in so much debt, but it was the way that they had access to, to capital back then. Right. And I mean, you know, thinking about it in hindsight, I mean, I think it was like a United, you know, some sort of credit card that I remember getting points on and being like, oh, wait, there's something here. Like there's something with this. And now we pay everybody on credit card. Right. But like back then, I mean, it was a thing. Like, I think I did like, you know, like a cash advance, like, you know, like I got one of those checks and I filled it out and I deposited it, you know, it's crazy to think about now, but you know, yeah, you're right. There weren't those options. You weren't getting constantly pummeled by these various different companies offering money. So it was the way. Up next, you'll hear the importance of taking feedback from retailers and how you can turn a no into a yes. Hey, entrepreneurs, it's Steph here. As a founder, or really as a woman in business who is creating their own success, whether you're just starting a business or you're scaling it, dealing with finances and money can often feel very overwhelming and intimidating. We have all been there. But according to fellow entrepreneurista and personal finance expert, Varnoosh Tarabi, that fear can surprisingly be very helpful for your future success and wealth. 
Bernouche is the host of the So Money podcast and the author of the best-selling book, A Healthy State of Panic. She gets candid about all things finance with leading business experts every Friday on her podcast. And she dives deeper into the nine biggest fears that hold us back both professionally and personally in her latest book, including rejection, loneliness, fear of missing out, and failure, to name a few. She offers a wealth of knowledge and tackles the relatable feelings we all experience about money, so you are definitely going to want to subscribe to her podcast. And if you want to meet Farnoosh live and in person, be sure to join us at our Entreprenista Founders Weekend event from May 3rd to May 5th at the Ritz-Carlton in Orlando. Farnoosh will be speaking and she cannot wait to connect with you. You can reserve your ticket at entrepreneurista.com forward slash founders weekend and we will see you there. I'd love to know what's next in the pipeline for you. Do you have any exciting launches coming up? So many. Oh my gosh. So our biggest launch, biggest, latest, newest launch is Sculpt. And Sculpt has really been about taking this spa from, you know, facial skincare into full body because, you know, I had this epiphany of like, you know, it's really about head to toe beauty, right? And really celebrating our bodies in a way that feels really positive and inclusive and, you know, as I thought about Miss Spa in terms of spa results at home and then what that would look like, it really needs to encompass full body products. So I've been working on a range for Sculpt for years. I actually had something five years ago. I think I presented it to Ulta and the team there is amazing. And I remember showing them the boob mask and they all laughed and they're like, oh my gosh, we could never sell that. And I remember showing it to Target and Target being like, uh, and I think I had named it like boob job or something. And Target was like, you know, horrified that we would have a photo on the front of the box that had, you know, like a half naked woman with boobs. Um, So anyway, but here we are and everybody has a boob mask, which makes me laugh. So sometimes the other thing that we're challenged with is being too early to market. When you ask the question, it's always about like, you know, timing and figuring out, you know, sometimes we're, we are so trend focused and data focused that, you know, I'll see something in another part of the world and the U.S. isn't ready for it. And maybe even Europe's not ready for it. So figuring out the timing on it, but I feel like the timing on body and head to toe beauty is really timely. We've introduced these silicone patches that are amazing and sculpt we've transitioned from single use face masks into multi-use products. So in the case of the silicone masks, I'm sitting here waving this in your face, like this is the neck one, they're made of medical grade silicone. And the thing that's cool about them is that they trap uh, moisture in your skin. You can leave them on overnight. So like I'll throw the neck mask on. So you can put this on, let's say you've got an area where you've got, you know, like bands or some sort of lines that you really wanna firm up. I can put this on before I go to bed at night. So bringing the same technology to body, your entire body is what we're really focused on. And then also bringing really great spa treatments into your home. So like, you know, if you're going to get like a full body mud treatment, how do we emulate that? Put it into some sort of vehicle that makes sense for you to use at home. You know, it's easy to apply. It passes all the various different pillars that we have for the brand in terms of ingredients and safety. So that's really what we're focused on now is, is head to toe beauty. Has that launched already, Sculpt? It has. Yeah, we did a full-blown launch in the middle of April, which was super duper exciting. We've partnered with the Look Boutique, which is the high-end boutiques within Walgreens stores. There are a lot of the old Dwayne Reed stores that you guys would know in New York City. 
And so we've got a whole section. A lot of these things that you're looking at behind me are parts of that section at Look Boutique. And then we've got it on Ulta.com and we've got it at Walmart.com. And we're going to continue to add to the product portfolio pretty aggressively over the next couple months. That is so exciting. I definitely need to, to buy some of these for sure. I'm always looking for new spa treatments to, to try at home, especially since I haven't really been going to the spa over the past year and a half, which I'm sure many of us can relate to. And yeah. I'm sure why your sales have been even better. <laughs> exactly. Well, we, you know, we were really, we had always been so focused on bricks and mortar retail that, you know, we really were able to put, when it, things shut down, we were really able to put the emphasis on, into our own e-commerce and so that's been a huge, huge push. Um, and we didn't really have the infrastructure in-house to do that. So, you know, we built it and we we figured out a way to make it work. And that's been amazing because our sales went through the roof to the point where we opened up our own e-commerce warehouse. We were able to pull it out of our um, third-party warehouse that we were using for the rest of our products. So that's been huge because everybody has been so, so focused on, you know, self-care and staying at home and DIY and how does that all get built together? And even on like the tool side, you know, we introduced an LED light therapy tool, you know, all sorts of different technology as it relates to cooling, heating, LED light, micro needling, and really trying to bring some of the more heavy hitting, you know, med spa type treatments and products into the fold. And I really see it being, it's going to be like your cosmetic brush collection. You're going to have sort of this go-to, you know, of tools at your disposal, depending on how your skin feels on a particular day or what you think you need that can be used for your face and body. And that's the stuff that I'm super excited about. That is so exciting. I have a question. So many of our entrepreneurs who listen to this podcast are thinking about starting a business. Many of them are, have recently started like a new e-com brand, but are looking to get into retailers. Can you share what the pitch meetings are like when you're trying to get into retailers? And I know many of them now, of course, are, are done over Zoom, but what do they have to prepare for these meetings? What, what are they like? That's a great question. I think, you know, the number one thing that I, first of all, I noticed that all the retailers, especially during COVID, and I don't know if it's the Zoom calls, like, you know, certainly the the requirements, what they're asking for. It used to be that you could sort of create your own presentation. Here's who I am. This is my brand, Maspa. Let me tell you all about it. Now it's like, here's what we want to know from you. You know, tell us what your brand strategy is. Tell us what your digital strategy is. Tell us, you know, it's a lot more tiered to what their needs are and what they're looking for in a brand partner than necessarily hearing so much about your story. I mean, obviously that's a part of it, but I think unless there's some sort of connectivity or some sort of way that they can figure out how to bring you in to their business model in a way that makes sense. So I would say to anybody, just making sure you're really clear on your strategy, you know, and making sure that with your strategy at the center is the consumer. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, everybody wants to pitch to Target or to Ulta or to any of these different retailers, um, specifically if they have, you know, certain categories that are that are over-indexing or products that are over-indexing in those areas. And there's really, uh, to me, been a shift in terms of, you know, understanding the consumer and and understanding what it is they want and having something that is really, really focused on knowing who your target audience is. And a lot of people would say, like I could say with Miss Spot, our target audience is everywhere from my, my teen daughter or younger. You know, she's been using my products since she was six, 
up to, you know, my grandmother. I mean, does, you know, there's, there's obviously something for everyone, but you can't market to all those people effectively. So what's the sweet spot? And then how do you intend to use that retailer to help you get to their consumer? Are your consumers aligned? Are your pillars aligned? And how would you collectively get to that consumer or those consumers? And what's your advice to anyone who pitches and the retailer says, you know, it's not a fit or not right now. How do you stay in touch with them and turn the no into a yes? Yeah. I mean, it's still, it happens to us, you know, obviously there's with all the products that we create, there's always going to be something that doesn't resonate and doesn't work for whatever reason. Maybe it's too soon. Maybe it's too late. Maybe somebody else has it. Maybe it's too expensive. Maybe it's too inexpensive. You never know. Um, I would say keep trying. I mean, don't give up and always, always, always take the feedback. I mean, the one thing I tell people is that, you know, these retailers are talking to thousands of different brands. They're seeing thousands of different products and there's, you know, millions of touch points. So understanding and listening to the feedback. Um, that's one thing we, we recently had a meeting with target and we really took everything that the buyer that we work with had to say to heart and even down to the specifics in terms of how we did our presentation. We really wanted to make sure that we, A, didn't waste her time. We didn't want to spend a lot of time going down, you know, on a path that didn't make sense. We wanted to make sure we got through everything she wanted to hear. And then it made it, you know, wide open space for us to talk about the product. But also understanding the data. If anybody has access to various different data touch points, everybody, and again, it's become even more of a COVID thing. Everybody's very data-driven right now. So a lot of the decisions are made. It's less gut feeling intuitive. Oh my gosh, I love this. I have to have it. I mean, there's an element of that, of course, but you know, it still has to work from a pricing perspective. It still has to be right and fit into the mix in a way that makes sense. Can you talk to us a bit about pricing, especially when dealing with retailers? So give us an example of like what something a product could cost to make and then what a deal could look like with a retailer and what you would want your margins to be. Because a lot of entrepreneurs are really trying to figure out their pricing and what makes sense. Pricing's really, really hard. I mean, I would put pricing right up there with inventory management. Um, it's one of the hardest things. I think the only reason we are semi good at it is because we started in private label and you know the private label model the mar the margins are very high for the retailer and very low for the supplier so that's sort of that model whereas you know if you're on the wholesale side of it it's kind of the opposite the margins become a little bit lower for the retailer um, and the margins are higher because obviously as a brand you're investing in the marketing you've got other things that you need to cover so, you know, there's all sorts of different models that are out there, but to me, I always start with sort of the perceived value in the marketplace. You know, I look at something and I say, okay, I, in my mind, I believe that this is, after all the research, this is something that would fit into, you know, an opening price point. So let's say it's going to be $2.99, right? It's an opening price point product. And then, you know, sort of reversing that and saying, all right, what, what is it that I need to do and deliver for that opening price point in order to be competitive, right? What are the, the other brands doing in that space? And what does that look like? In the case of like a facial sheet mask, do I need to have an innovative ingredient to be able to stand out? If my competition is all Korean beauty, 
you know, for $2.99? How do I differentiate my product and ultimately deliver something that is better, different, or has a higher perceived value? You know, one of the above, a high, a better quality material. Maybe I want to use a different type of, I want to use silk or cotton. So I'd kind of look at it from that perspective. And then, you know, there'd probably be different pricing scenarios and and some sort of range. So let's say it's anywhere from, let's say it's a dollar to a dollar 50, and then really sort of looking at that and seeing what it looks like from a sales perspective, because most of our retailers, I mean, everything's become pretty static in terms of retailer margins, you know. There used to be a lot of flexibility, but most of the retailers now, especially with as competitive as our category is, you know, really have set margins that they need to hit and they're not willing to to bend or go any lower because they've got the same costs that we have now. It used to be that the brand had all the investment on them. And now with, you know, so much investment in bricks and mortar store renovations, right? Everybody has to compete with having the best looking beauty department and, you know, with Sephora and Ulta as sort of the gold standard, how do we, you know, make ourselves look different as a target um, or as an Ulta? So the costs have just gotten to be more expensive. I would, and I would say with anybody, don't sell yourself short, you know, the minute you start working on tighter margins to accommodate the retailer, it's just going to make it harder. You're never going to recoup that. And then a lot of times what brands end up doing is dummying the product down, right? So then I have a saying at the company, it's like, this is a shard of its former self. By the time we get it to hit the retailer margin and our margin, we've now dummied it down to the point where it's, to me, I'm not even interested in doing it anymore. It was cool when it started out. And once we needed to knock 50 cents off of it to hit a retail price point, it it becomes unattractive and kind of unappealing to me. So if it doesn't tick all the boxes, I would say be careful. You know, the pricing is one of the hardest things and it's also one of the biggest areas you can get hurt. Um, and I guess that's why I would say it's almost second to inventory because if you bring in too much inventory or if you sell something for too low, those are the two biggest things that'll absolutely knock you out because you'll have cash tied up or you have no profit. And you know, there's no two worse things than that as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> have you have you made those mistakes before? Oh, yes. <laughs> this is fully spoken from experience. Absolutely. Tell us. What's the biggest mistake you've made? Oh gosh. You know, there's so many times because we're, we have such great relationships with the retailers that we work with and all of our customers. And a lot of times, you know, they'll be really adamant. Like this isn't going to sell unless it's $2.99 and we'll go, Oh gosh. All right, fine. So maybe we just do it on this product and we'll make it up on volume. So it'll be great. And you know, no matter what, it it just rarely works out that way is all I'm going to say. And it really comes down to making sure that you've got good sourcing for your product, because we always like to know that we have various different options with a product, you know, like for our sheet masks, for example, we work with, you know, probably a dozen different suppliers in the US, in Europe, in Korea, in Taiwan, and we can go to any country and have something made. And I think that's really important to have that flexibility. A lot of people don't have that. So when you're starting out and you have one supplier, you better be very, very sure about where you are from a retail price perspective and do that homework because you'll be challenged on that. Well, why do you think it's worth $24.99, $25, you know? And if you don't have the answer to that as a brand or as a product, you know, that's that to me is is like 
rule number one. You have to have that piece of it figured out because you'll be quite, you know, and then the retailer tells you, well, I think it's a $10 product. And then where are you going? When you've done everything possible to price something for 25 and somebody comes to you and says, if they don't think they could sell it for more than $10, what are you going to do? Are you going to take it down to $10 and make it work knowing that Target's going to buy? it or are you going to say you know what i'm just going to continue to sell it direct to consumer and i'm going to try to find higher end retailers to to carry it those are those are sort of like those fundamental questions that you know the more you have that answered i think that just the better off you'll be more prepared kate how big is your team now oh everybody somebody just asked me this yesterday and i couldn't answer it isn't that terrible i th- i think between asia and the us teams there's roughly 20 ish people. I should have checked that before. <laughs> less, than, plus. <laughs> less than 25, I think, but we have a full team in Asia. And that's another thing that really gives us a leg up is that we have, you know, our own sourcing, our own R and D, we have our own freight and logistics and quality control that works directly for us. And a lot of other companies outsource that. And we've had our own office there since another question everybody asked me that I should know. Maybe 2003, I opened up that office there. And I really opened it up because all of our buyers were coming over there. And they're like, oh, you don't have an office in Hong Kong? And I was like, now I do. And I went and opened one. But you know, that's, um, that's something that we has really been of value to us as we move forward with our own brands. Because it's even more important as a brand to make sure that you've got somebody who's checking your packaging and you know that that all the suppliers that you're working with are able to hit your brand pillars and you know on and and the quality control right like so you realize so many companies don't you know they're buying products from overseas and they don't even really have anybody testing them or looking at them you know i mean i'll notice the color variations on the packaging and i'll go crazy um so I, and you know, and that's after somebody shows them to me that works for us. I can't imagine finding that out on my own. So it's, you know, it's really important with any of your supplier partners, whether you have your own team or not, um, to make sure that, you know, there's somebody who's keeping an eye on that side of things. You mentioned earlier that you would get your inspiration from being a globe trotter, always traveling. How has the past year impacted your ability to, you know, get inspired? And what inspires you now? I spend a lot of time online. What can I say? Um, You know, I still travel. So I was in Asia in January of 2020. I was on one of the last flights to get out of there before they closed the gates of Wuhan. And I was traveling by September of last year in Europe. So anywhere that I could get into, I went to. So I can't be stopped. I was literally going out of my mind. But at the same time, in the period of quarantine from like that January trip until I went to Europe in September, I was very busy and very productive. So (laughs) I kind of look at it. It's like I was able to, you know, focus on a lot of things that I hadn't gotten to. That's when I really put the emphasis onto our digital side and e-commerce. Um, so that was great. And just continuing to do research. I'm just like such an information junkie. So I'm constantly reading, you know, I still, I'm like still the weirdo that goes and buys like magazines. Like I'm constantly flipping through interior magazines and getting inspiration. And even when I was traveling in Europe, like, you know, I'll go into like 
a grocery store and find something cool that will inspire me. So, um, you know, I've, I guess I've made it work throughout, but yeah, the travel is a huge part of my inspiration and really understanding, you know, anywhere I go, I'm at a spa pouring over their spa menu to see what they have that's different. I'm always looking for different types of ingredients, different delivery systems, and just different treatments and trying to figure out a way that I can bring them into our brands. So that's a really exciting piece. And then like, I think the whole self-care movement, I feel as though we were able to really redefine that and refine that through COVID. Um, and that's really where a lot of the body and the tool, you know, I mean, obviously we'd had the tools in the pipeline and we had had a lot of the body products, but I started thinking about them differently. And I started thinking about them less as sort of like, you know, how do we create something that's efficacious and, you know, all these different things and really more experiential. Like, how do you really create, like I had to turn my home into like, I literally turned my bath, my bathroom into like a full blown spa. Like that sounds amazing though. (laughs) I had so much stuff going on. Like I had everything possible for a bath, everything for a shower, everything possible to put like on my hair, on my butt, on my feet, on my hands. Kate, you know, this is perfect content for your social media, building your personal brand and showing everyone the behind the scenes. Like everyone would want to see this. The bathroom is crazy. I'm always so shy about like showing that kind of stuff. Cause I don't know. I feel like there's a fine line between like, look at my spa and like, I love my spa. You know, there's like kind of two different things, but yes, you're right. You're totally right. I need to be better about it and not be so like, you know, I, I'm such a little like creature of habit and I, I don't know, I, I get into my little zone and I actually loved being in quarantine and stuck because I'm sort of a homebody anyway. <laughs> so to me, I was like, you know, I love this. I'm kind of agoraphobic, this works for me. <laughs> Up next, how Kate has made some of her most meaningful business connections in an airplane. All right, Kate, this is a fun new segment that we've been doing. It is a rapid fire Q&A. So we're going to ask you a few quick questions and share the first thing that comes to mind. Are you ready? All right. Describe yourself in three words. (laughs) Um, Creative, funny, crazy. (laughs) All C words. Uh, If you could learn one new skill, what would it be? Swimming swimming. What is your most used emoji? The heart. (laughs) Is there an app or what is an app on your phone that you cannot live without? DoorDash. (laughs) What is the, your favorite tech business solution? Aside from my iPhone. Oh, I was, I actually, I have, I have one for you that you just said, I think prior to recording Shopify. (laughs) Shopify. Yes. Shopify for sure. Shopify is my friend. I spent way too, actually that is another app that I am constantly on, constantly, constantly staring at our e-commerce sales on Shopify. They do have the best sounds when you get a sale. You're thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's like cash, cash money in the register. Who doesn't love that? Sounds like a slot machine. Yep, <laughs> for yeah, those of you who don't, don't use Shopify, <laughs> Their platform is awesome. And when you get a sale, it makes this little dinging, dinging sound, which is, which is great. Do you have a hidden talent? I do have a gift for makeup artistry. Mm. (laughs) Good one. And finally, if you could have any superpower, what would it be? Being able to transport myself. I knew you were going to say that. (laughs) 
those trips to China are very long. Yes. Yes. What do you just, t- what do you typically do on the plane for when you're on for that long? Can you sleep on it or are you, you know, working? I kind of do a little combination. I start out like drinking some wine and reading usually. Then I'll move on to a movie. Then I'll fall asleep. Then I'll wake up. It actually depends. Actually, the real answer is it depends on whether there is wireless or not. Because that changes everything, right? <laughs> so it goes from like, I could be chatting with you guys for two hours versus watching a movie. And it depends on what airline and what type of inline, uh, in-air entertainment they have. Have you ever made a great business connection or formed a really great relationship from sitting next to someone on a plane? Yes, I have. So I have a thing that either I chatted up with somebody the entire time and they end up, I end up having some sort of relationship with them or I sit next to somebody and we never say two words. <laughs> it's one or the other. It's very, it's so funny. And I've ended up, I met um, my business attorney when I first, first, first started Snap. I met her on a flight from Shanghai to Chicago And we still remain friends. She's since moved back to Shanghai from New York. She's amazing. The company that ended up becoming like our IT company that kind of took us to the next level with servers and all of our stuff. I've met, oh, this is the best story ever. So I was sitting, coming back from a trade show from Atlanta and I met two women. We had all been upgraded and we were in the same aisle. One of them worked for Spanx. One of them worked for a hair care company. We all had that flight from Atlanta to Chicago went in like 5.2 seconds. We all loved each other. We exchanged information with them and we all told each other, we're going to send you a box of our stuff. So I got my box from Spanx. I got my box from, I think it was IGK. IGK? Anyway, all great products. So I get my Spanx. I'm so excited. (laughs) Send her a thank you. I get my hair stuff. We're all in touch. We're hiring for a sales position. And who applies for the job? But my Spanx contact from the airplane. She's like, I don't know if Kate would remember me. We met on an airplane. I'm like, of course I remember you. And we hired her and I was out with her last night at a company cocktail party going to a party for someone else. That's a great story. Isn't that great? It's so, so funny. And it was also really hysterical because we were doing this photo shoot here and she ended up knowing the makeup artist from something. So we all, you know, you just, I always am such a believer and you never know where you're going to meet the next person that have an impact in your life. And, you know, just always being open to things. But also like maintaining your privacy back to the not speaking to someone like there's if there's somebody who sits down next to me on an airplane, which I usually don't even like sitting next to anybody, truth be told, and I will move. But (laughs) but I literally can so quickly like put the AirPods in. I'm just like (laughs) keep to yourself. Yeah, because sometimes I'm just not in the mood. You know, I think sometimes, especially after you come after a long trip, off a long trip, the last thing you want to do is be in a conversation. But if it's the right person, of course, you always want to be in a conversation. Absolutely. Well, it definitely is a testament to the the power of networking and being able to make those relationships and connect. All right. So I have to ask you this. I want to know what your favorite personal beauty rituals are. Oh, gosh, I have so many. Um. Top two. <laughs> Top two. Well, obviously every night doing some sort of mask. I mean, you know, that's, I am so crazy about my skin. Your skin is glowing. I know our Thank listeners you. can't see your face right now, but they'll be able to 
to see it on, on Instagram and on the videos yes. that we post oh, well, to our listeners, you. your, your skin is glowing and beautiful. So your products are clearly working. <laughs> My products are clearly working. I also, you know, am a big believer in getting all sorts of, you know, any sort of treatment that you need. I've been doing microneedling, which is what inspired me to bring it into my spa. So a lot of things to sort of keep the skin constantly rejuvenated and keep the collagen boosting as much as possible. Um, you know, I would say definitely having a really solid AM PM routine. That's my biggest thing. So in the morning, making sure that I'm always applying. So I, I actually usually do some sort of eye treatment or something in the morning. Like yesterday I did eye. And then, you know, the day before I was doing like a bunch of silicone patches as I was walking around drinking coffee, I do something special in the morning and something special at night every day. And at night, I usually do either an overnight mask. I do a super heavy serum or I'll do a sheet mask and then I take it off right before I go to bed and throw it in a bowl next to my bed. I just think so many people forget to do stuff at night. Like they wash their face, they throw on moisturizer and they're not thinking like, what can I do now? But nighttime is the biggest opportunity. Guilty here, guilty. Yeah, I'm telling you, you get the biggest bang for the buck out at nighttime because if you sleep and you're a good sleeper, which I hope you are. And if you're not, we could talk about that separately because I have many idea, many thoughts on the subject. But you've got eight hours. I mean, come on, use the eight hours. So utilizing the silicone patches, doing them under eye. I mean, you'll look like you know a new person when you wake up in the morning. I'll do a hair mask at night, right? Like coat your hair with moisturizer and put on a shower cap. I mean, how easy is that? Courtney, do you do any of this stuff? Or is it just me? I, I'm like, I, I I need to get a better routine. <laughs> Definitely wash my face before I go to bed and yeah. put on some serums, Def- I, but I can be better. My hair, I don't take care of it like I should, but I can. I'm good, at, I'm good about cleaning my face. No, that's <laughs> good. And even that, that I'm good at. But like taking care, that's a perfect time to take care of your hands. Like even if you just get in the mode of keeping a hand and foot mask next mm. to your bed, right? And throw that on. Like I'll sleep in our exfoliating peeling mask. I usually do that like once a month. And you've got like new feet in two weeks. I mean, it will remove. I don't recommend doing it in the summer because it can be a little, you know, dodgy on the peeling side. It's not so pretty in sandals, but the results speak for themselves. So. I would try that for sure. I just think that that's the, the whole idea of Mispas. You can have one of these pouches or 10 of them sitting next to your table and you can have them sitting on, you know, your counter in the bathroom and your vanity. And it's just a constant reminder to throw something on, especially something that's one-time use, like who cares, right? And keeping stuff in your fridge. I always have like under eye in my fridge. If you wake up and you haven't slept or you've had a rough night or you're tired or you just need a, a lift, Put an eye mask on or stick a cold lip mask on. There's nothing better to, to rejuvenate you than that. Well, you definitely have two new customers here. That's for sure. We need to Yay. be doing all this stuff. My question for you is if you could give our entrepreneurs audience one last business tip, what would it be? I would say no matter what you're doing, focus on something that you love and focus on something that you're passionate about truly because that carries you a really, really, really long way. You know, trends come and go, ideas come and go, but no matter what, if you feel passionate about something, you'll always be able to sell it and feel good about it and nurture it and feed it. And that to me is what it's all about. I've never, I still don't wake up ever and be like, 
you know, oh, I can't believe, you know, obviously there's rough weeks and there's busy weeks and it's craziness, but, you know, I'm always inspired. And I think like being inspired keeps you passionate, keeps you real and, and always be open. I think that's probably just three things I gave you, but um, no, that's the combination of all those things. I think if you're, you know, ultimately, if you're really passionate about what it is you want to do and what you care about organically, your, your business will flow through that. And you're, you're definitely proof of that. And I, I feel your, your passion and energy and everything through, through this recording and zoom. So that is such great advice. Finally, Kate, what does being an entrepreneurista mean to you? I love, yeah, I, I love meeting fellow entrepreneuristas. I have several squads of them on various different groups that I'm a part of. And it's the support piece of it. It's not to say that I'm not supporting the entrepreneur or the non-entrepreneurs, but I'm really passionate about helping other women succeed. And I think it's hard. And I feel like the more that um, we can all lift each other up and help each other and even little stuff, you know, it's sometimes what's so easy for me is so hard for someone else. And what's so hard for me is easy for someone else. So the more we can like help, you know, and I'm so over like the, you know, leaning in and lifting up and all this other stuff, but it's really true. You know, it doesn't have to sound corny in that way, but it's really just about like caring about others that have been in the same boat that you've been in. And it's a timing thing and being able to kind of, you know, help move different women through these different times, I think is, is a really important thing. So that's, that's something that I'm really super passionate about. Absolutely. And as are we, which is why we started this podcast and our, our membership community now, the Entrepreneurial League, to do exactly that, to bring all of these women together and be able to share all of these incredible stories like yours. So thank you so much, Kate, for sharing your story and journey. I know this was just a, a tip of, of the iceberg, and we, we can't wait to continue to be connected and follow you and be part of all of your new launches and, and share all of the, the new exciting ventures that, that you have have on the way. Where can everyone find you and follow you? And of course, buy all of your incredible products that Courtney and I will definitely be buying. <laughs> Yay. Um, so MissSpa.com, Miss-Spa.com is our main website. I have to mention too, that we also have a men's brand called M Skin Care, which is Miss Spa's significant other. And um, also a naturals um, treat your skin from within brand called Naturally Good For You. So those are really sort of like the, the trio of brands um, underneath um, the sort of Snap Brands um, umbrella. And then we are also available at Target, Ulta, Walgreens, CVS, Walmart, a lot of retail partners across the country. So they're all listed on our website, Amazon, of course. But we are constantly offering specials. We actually have a 50% off sale going on right now. I have to mention that. Um, if you guys want to tap on and take advantage of that. But yeah, we've, we've got um, a lot of new things coming. So I can't wait to share them with the, with the team at Entreprenista. Well, thank you so much for being here, Kate. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Courtney. And this is the best business meeting we've ever had. Hey, thanks for listening and leaving us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. And we'd love to stay in touch with each of you. You can listen to all of our latest episodes at entreprenista.com and connect with us on Instagram at entreprenistas. 
We'd also love to invite you to join the Entreprenista League, our private membership community for trailblazing women. You can head over to entreprenista.com forward slash the league. We'll see you there. Wishing you a productive week ahead. Founders are always asking us, what has been the secret to our success building multiple seven-figure businesses? Do you want to know how? It's our community. We created the Entreprenista League for founders like you. Our members have access to everything we've used to grow our businesses over the past 10 plus years. To learn more and get on the wait list for when doors are open again, head over to entreprenista.com. That's entreprenista.com to get on the wait list.